What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 32 of TLDR Podcast. It's the Magic Johnson episode, the Sandy Koufax episode, the Jay Quick episode, number 32. We're excited to be here. Uh, we got a great segment. It's Super Bowl week, so James is going to help us uh, kick off the Super Bowl. We got Traden's going to headline our NHL weekly segment, and Alex will do his thing with the NBA. And Eric's going to take us through a debate of what's more important in sports, offense or defense. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, let's check in with the boys. Uh, James, how you doing, man? I'm good, dude. It's Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So that's fun. Pro Bowl is terrible. I didn't watch it. So it could have been good, but I didn't watch it at all. But the Ducks really suck. And it's a disgrace. And it's very sad. So, yeah. Ducks, Kings tomorrow. Ducks are probably going to lose. Quack, quack. I understand how you think they suck. So like, positive right there. You, you Duck fans are unbelievable to me, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> anyway, trading. Other than, than complaining about Ducks fans, how are you doing? <laughs> Yo, I'm good. I actually have a team that does, in fact, suck. So, um, Dude, How does your team suck? You Oilers fans are absolutely unbelievable. We can get to that later. <laughs> Got him. Shut him up. <laughs> All right. That's about <laughs> Eric, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. Um, I murked James this week in fantasy hockey. I put up like a 1,000 in a in hundred points or something like that. It was insane. I got four goalies now. Uh, <laughs> trick of the trade. There you go. And yeah, trading Oilers actually looked good last night. It's because they're playing the pesky. Sevens. That was the ugliest hockey game I've ever seen in my entire life. Eric. Yeah, they almost came back with an eight goals. They almost came back and lost. That was <laughs> not good at all. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I figured you were happy with it. But wait, was Jared Goff in the Pro Bowl, James? I, I don't know, dude. I didn't care about the yeah. yeah. <laughs> no well, clue. He's not on the Rams anymore, so. That's for sure. See ya, Goff. Uh, Alex, you are undefeated in both of your fantasy leagues. I think you're a combined 9-0 and or 7-0 and yes. or something stupid. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing it, and how are you doing? Dude, it's I'm really great at all fantasy except for fantasy football. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, yeah, 6-0 in basketball, 3-0 in hockey. I think Tyler beat you in hockey this week. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, we'll just keep riding off the winds, you know, just keep that train rolling. Unbelievable. I don't know how you do it. Uh, but let's let's get into the big game that's happening this weekend. It's the Super Bowl Chiefs versus Buccaneers. Uh, it should be it should be a great game. So James is going to lead us in our little preview and debate of who's going to win this one. So, James, take it away. All right, guys, like Tyler said, Super Bowl. I'm very excited. It's a Hall of Famer versus possibly a future Hall of Famer. We'll see how this goes. Let's start with the offense, though. Uh, let's start with the Chiefs. The Chiefs averaged 438.5 yards per game, and that includes a quarter and a little bit without Patrick Mahomes. And that's pretty crazy considering the backup. I don't even know what his name is. Isn't that good? <laughs> Mahomes, though, looks pretty healthy. Against the Bills, he had three touchdowns. His concussion didn't look like he was bothering him. It didn't look, look like he had a headache. And also his turf toe wasn't a big deal. <laughs> he still waddled the same amount that he normally waddled. So that's that. Um, the thing for the Chiefs, though, is that the running back room hasn't been fully healthy this entire postseason. Now they are. That extra week is doing them wonders. They now have Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Le'Veon Bell back, and that's running back one and running back two. Um, Darrell Williams has been great in the absence of these two, but now it's time for him to step aside and let these guys do their thing. The Chiefs' offense is among the best when it comes to postseason passing yards per game with 320. Tyreek Hill is number two in the postseason in terms of receiving yards per game with 141 per game. 
And tight end Travis Kelsey is number four with 113.5. The crazy thing about this is, is that the Chiefs have only played two games while other teams have played three games. But Travis Kelsey leads all players with three touchdowns, three passing, receiving touchdowns. The biggest concern for the Chiefs offense, left tackle Eric Fisher towards Achilles against the Bills. Huge loss. He's been on that line forever. He was a former number one overall pick. And it, he, the O-line has to really step up to make sure that this overly aggressive defensive line of the Bucs doesn't get there because that defensive line for the Bucs is good. And so who's going to step up? And today it's found out that backup center Daniel Kilgore is also going to be out with COVID. Damn. So this offensive line has been scrambling all season long. Who's going to step up? On the Buccaneers side, the Buccaneers offense ranks number two among playoff teams, averaging 30.7 points per game. The thing about this that I hear a lot is people always say, don't bet against playoff Tom. But to be honest, Tom hasn't really showed me all that much this postseason. Cool, he beat the Washington team, right? But then he wouldn't have really won against the Saints unless Drew Brees made mistakes. And he played pretty well against the Packers, but he also threw three picks. You can't do that against the Chiefs. The Chiefs will capitalize. Aaron Rodgers didn't, but the Chiefs will. Um, other than that, though, he's averaging 286.7 points yards per game. And seven, he has seven touchdown passes in the postseason. The running back combination of Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones is fantastic. It's like fire and ice. One's a power back, one's an elusive back. So the power back will come in and just hurt you. And then the elusive back will just run around you. Great combo right there. Wide receiving room for the Buccaneers. That's a good wide receiver room if they can fix the problems. Evans is currently hurt right now. He's going to play, but he's been managing any injuries since the last game of the season. Chris Godwin has this major dropping problem. So you got to fix the yips on that one because, dude, stop dropping passes. And Antonio Brown, he's questionable to play with a, with a knee injury. The biggest surprise for the Buccaneers team, though, is their tight end room. Gronk is the bigger name and garners way more attention, but Cameron Brait's been killing it. The dude ha has 49.7 yards per, per game. On the defensive side, the Chiefs currently allow 335 yards per game through two postseason games. But this group also has five sacks for 61 yards and two interceptions for 47 yards. Like I mentioned before, the Chiefs defense makes a lot of clutch plays. They kind of don't show up for the majority of the game, but when, they, when it matters the most, that's when they do. They're led by safety Tyron Matthew, a.k.a. the Honey Badger, and he's all over the field. You can see him making – like he runs and he sacks the quarterback. For a safety, that's kind of unheard of, so that's really cool to see. And Chris Jones, everybody knows him. He's a perennial pro bowler, probably one of the best defensive linemen of the game right now. He's a game record on the line. So a lot of offensive linemen pay attention to him, but that gives way to Frank Clark coming in off the edge to get sacks. Overall, this D-line is good, but not great. On the Bucs side, the run defense is elite. And that, there's no question about that. They've been elite throughout the season. In the postseason, they're doing the same exact thing. They allow 85.7 rush yards per game, which is the lowest. Their strength is their defensive line. Uh, defensive end Sha Shaquille Barrett led lead league in sacks last season. He has three so far in playoffs, but he also has seven hurries. And Jason Pierre-Paul, do you guys remember him? He's known for his face mask and blowing off half of his hand, but he has two sacks and seven hurries as well. I personally think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the best linebacking duo in the league in Devin White and Levante David. Devin White leads the team in tackles with 26, but he's only played in two games. And Levante David is second in the team with tackles with 20. The biggest thing that the Buccaneers need to do is have their secondary step up. You're playing against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. You guys need to do your best. Sean Murphy bunting, though, the cornerback, he has three interceptions. That's huge. And safety Jordan Whitehead has played really well this entire postseason. 
And safety, Antoine Winfield is questionable with an ankle injury. He's been a prodigy. He's only a rookie, but he's done so well, and he's very important because he makes big plays. So, Eric, why do you think the Bucks are going to win? First off, the dude who has COVID that can't play in the Super Bowl, like, I would just say fuck it and make an exception for him to play, like, like <laughs> Justin Turner in the World Series, you know, like, halfway through. They're like, yeah, he has it. And he was out there and playing and shit. I mean, fuck. What if the student never has a chance to do that again? But why are the Bucks going to win? Um, because they got a dude named Tom Brady. And I remember our first podcast, I think you asked all of us if they were going to make the playoffs. I don't remember what I said. I hope I said yes. Um, but having a guy like Tom Brady means you always have a chance. That lucky motherfucker. He's been in nine Super Bowls. He's six and three. In his Super Bowls, 95.6 passer rating, 65% completion rate, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. This will be his biggest test ever of all time in the Super Bowls to see if he's really the true GOAT amongst the rest because um, he's going up against the baby of the next upcoming GOAT, most likely in this league. Um, my other point, their defense – has been the hottest defense in the playoffs. They do look almost like the Rams defense, the way they've been playing. They beat Drew Brees in the Saints, and they took down Aaron Rodgers in that high-powered offense. Um, they are going to give Mahomes a tough time. This is going to be the toughest defense he's going to face uh, in his playoff career, I think, and right now. Um and if Tom loses, this is going to be the best team he's ever lost to. But he's not going to lose. Um, unless you think Eli Manning and Nick Foles are better than Mahomes. But, you know, it's just – it's hard to argue against Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl. Who knows? Hopefully we don't see him ever again in the Super Bowl. But he's going to win it this year. All right. Alex, why is Eric wrong and why are the Chiefs going to win? Yeah, so – it, I think this all comes down to it's going to be I think it's going to be a shootout. You can only hold Mahomes for so long. And he looked great against a Bills defense that is very good. They're maybe not up to the level that the Bucks are, um, or at least the level the Bucks are playing right now. But that Bills team was a really good team. And it, Mahomes kind of walked all over him. Um, you know, Tom Brady definitely has the uh, weapons to if this is a shootout for them to to, you know, just be like a 40, 40, 45, 40 game or something like that. I just think, uh, you know, with Mike Evans hurt, Chris Godwin has been, I would say, iffy. You mentioned it in your in the beginning part with his drops. Um, I just think this Mahomes-led this Mahomes -led Chiefs team is just a, the complete team. Their defense might not be flashy, um, but they can hold Brady. Um, if Brady throws a couple picks, I, they're not. They're going to have to score the Bucks a lot to keep up with the Chiefs, and I just don't trust Brady right now. I mean, he didn't play – you just said it. He hasn't played that well this postseason – I think Mahomes and the Chiefs have got this one. Trading, why is Alex wrong and why the Bucks can win? Yeah, so, you know, I will agree that Sean Brady hasn't looked extravagant uh, in the postseason, but there is something to be said about him being able to overcome wins and this team being able to overcome adversity. And I think that that's the thing that I take to heart the most. You know, I look at it in sports. I look at it in life, being able to adapt to a certain – certain set of circumstances and adversity is all that matters. And case in point, we saw this with the saints, the bunks were embarrassed 
in their two games in the regular season against the Saints, and they found a way to make the adjustments where and win a game where it mattered the most. Who cares about those two losses? They 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 won in that uh, in that you know, playoff game. And then let's look at the game against the Chiefs in the regular season. They did lose twenty seven to twenty four. After which they went undefeated. You know, following the bye week, following that uh, media bye week. But if you look at that specific game. The Chiefs were up 20 to seven in the first half. This, I, I mean, anybody who was anybody thought that the game was going to be over. Um, it wasn't going to be close that the Chiefs would just run away. But if you look at the, if you look at that second half, the Bucks adjusted quite, quite well. I mean, and, and really gave the Chiefs a, a game to, to, to pucker a bit. Um, you know, they, they made the, they, they made the, the certain adjustments they needed to. They only, they didn't even let the Chiefs score in the fourth quarter at all. Uh, and there was only one touchdown allowed in that second half, and they brought it to a three-point game. I mean, that shows that the Chiefs are expo- can be exposed and can be beaten. Yes, it, I will say they got they did lose that game, but it's also a half a season, um, you know, forward. It's an entire postseason forward. Tom Brady is 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 someone that no one should be betting against at this point because there's no reason that. You know, if you are at this point, you're you haven't been watching what he's been able to do in the last, you know, 20 some seasons. I will say this. We saw the Bucks D line sack Aaron Rodgers five times for um, for a loss of 32 yards last game and limited the Packers to just 67 yards. That, that is the key to stopping the high octane offense here. Tyreek Hill cannot be cannot be covered. It's impossible. You cannot beat him. But what you can do is put immense pressure on on Patrick Mahomes and I think that that's going to be the key to winning the game as well as winning the the ground game yourself because I don't think that I don't think that Tom Brady can go foot toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes it just will not happen so they have to they have to go old school I like it uh question for you real fast who's gonna have more receiving yards Tyreek Hill or Mike Evans and Chris Godwin combined um that's a tough one. That's a great question. Exactly equal. Um, here's here's the thing. I, I I've seen. I actually say the say. Um, I, I would say the Bucks wide receivers in this only because I think that if you put you know any type of coverage against Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes has the ability to find anybody he wants to and give him the ball. So I, I'm not. And, and then you have Travis Kelsey. Like I mean, there's I'm not. I have to give it to those two wide receivers because those are going to be the big linchpins for the offense on the buck side. But I, you know, I, Patrick Mahomes can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> I like it. Tyler, why is Jaden wrong and why are the chiefs going to win? All right. A lot of people are talking about this bucks defense and how hot they've been. And yes, they've been very, very good. They took down two very good offensive teams in the saints and the Packers. But this is even a better offense. The Kansas City Chiefs probably one of the best well-run offenses in the league. Um, and you got to look at, can the Bucks really sustain that level of turnover or getting turnovers on defense that, that they have? They have, they have this whole week that of, of rest, like two weeks since their last game. I don't know if they can still carry that momentum going forward. Uh, Kansas City had the fourth fewest turnovers in the league this season. Um, and they've only had one turnover in their first two games. In the, in, the, in the postseason so and the only real reason the Bucks, I think won both those games was because of how good their defense was at forcing turnovers because they weren't winning by by, by large margins so if if they if the Bucks don't have the turnovers in these games like I don't think the Bucks really have as as good of a shot to win it and I just don't see the Kansas City Chiefs giving up more than one turnover 
I, I, I just think this, this offense is so, is so well run. Um, and yes, that, that the, the Buccaneers defense is playing very well, but for me, I, this Kansas city chiefs team, man, it just offensively is so good. And defensively they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're pretty solid as well. Um, but I do think it's going to be a very high scoring affair. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, the, the Kansas city chiefs have just too many playmakers on, on, on offense that the bucks just don't have. Okay. So the last part of this, we'll go around the horn and see who the guys have winning and with what score and also who they think the Super Bowl MVP will be. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go Kansas City Chiefs with 34, Tampa Bay Buccaneers with 27, and I think Travis Kelsey will, will be the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go Chiefs 38, Bucks 30, and I was also going to pick Travis Kelsey, so I'll pick Mahomes just to be different. Okay. Eric. I got Bucks 30, Chiefs 27. MVP is Mike Evans wow. for the Bucks. I thought you were for sure gonna say Brady. Uh trade. <laughs> yeah. Um I'll say 31 to 27 bucks. Um, I mean the GOAT's gonna be the MVP baby once again. And Tyler. All right, 33 to 30 Chiefs. The MVP is Tyreek Hill. All right. That wraps up my segment. Everybody tune in to watch the Super Bowl. That'll be a good one. Sunday, 3.15 p.m. Pacific what channel? Time. All right. That's a good question. I think it's CBS <laughs> yeah. this year. Is it CBS? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it who, out. Who is not going to watch the Super Bowl? Like, you think there's someone who's just like, I hate this and I'm not going to watch it? Probably. Yeah, probably a lot oh, of probably. people. Probably. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Watch football. But yeah, people aren't like us then, I guess. I'm definitely watching it. It'd be a great game. That's what I'm hoping for. So let's hope for the best for the, and good luck to both of these teams. Uh, should be a great one to watch. Thank you, James, for that great Super Bowl preview. Uh, we'll look forward to talking about it when it's all over next week. Uh, so moving on to next segment, Eric is going to take us through a great sports debate here between what's more important to a team success, offense or defense. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Eric is going to take us to another great sports debate. We've had a lot of these. Last week, we had mental versus physical. This week, we're talking offense versus defense. What's more important to a team's success? Uh, this should be a really interesting one. Eric, take it away. Yeah, I feel like every every uh, episode we have always we're talking offense and defense because, you know, we talk sports and we're very knowledgeable with that. Um before people ever even knew or watched sports, uh, it was said that militaries would test individuals to see if they were fit for battle and war, which then picked up into competitions between individuals to gain better skills and behaviors. Hence, sports came into the world um, during the Industrial Revolution. Uh, sports picked up. G people started gambling on sports. Um, this made them more prevalent. It sparked more interest in people to watch sports. Um, thus came the mass media, the global communication, and the professionalism revolving around all sports. But what builds sports, in my opinion, is usually offense and defense. You got to have both. Who knows? Maybe you have to have uh, more than one than the other. Tonight we got Tyler and James will be arguing why defense is more important 
to build a successful team organization, et cetera. And we got Alex and trading teaming up um, on the offensive side. So let's start with defense and um, Tyler and James, you can both talk whenever um, interrupt each other if you want to, who knows, but what are the key aspects or like system qualities it would take to build a defense, a successful defense? I'll go first, Ty. All right. Okay. <laughs> so key aspects for defense. And it's pretty simple in my opinion. Defense is a simple formula. For the most part, it's a willingness to work hard, willingness to hustle, never give up on a play ever. Cause you never know what might happen. Trust what you've been taught and trust your teammates and trust the system. Whenever you start to doubt those things and go back to your old ways and not trusting the system and trusting what other people are supposed to be, that's where mess ups happen. But in the case that do mess up, mess ups do happen, you can hustle to the play and hopefully still make a play while running to it. So never go on your play. Ty, what do you got? Yeah, uh, very good points that I had there too. I would also say communication is a big one. Um, I think defensive is most sports like defense, you're reacting to what the offense is doing. And on a, in a team sport, you have to communicate with each other, you know, during the game very, very well in order to make that run very, very smoothly. Um, and also, I think uh, you kind of, kind of mentioned to it, you know, hustling, working hard. I think it comes down to the individual taking responsibility for their own in, individual part, whatever that may be. And that, you know, as, along as with hustle and just, you know, making the best play every single time. And then you got to have your playmakers, the, the guys that, you know, really force those, those turnovers in a sport or are able to defend the best player on the team off, um, off, offensively um, to stop that and slow that down. And so having your one or two guys that are just, you know, the, the playmakers on defense, so to speak, um, I think are all big, big, big parts in building a, a good defense. Yeah. So what I take out of this is like, you, you got to give a hundred percent on every play in defense. If not, you can, you can be caught for slip ups. Um, and kind of maybe it sounds like Tyler's saying defense, good defense creates offensive opportunity. But Alex and Traden, what do you got to say about what is the, uh, you know, key aspects, system qualities of a, of a built offense for a team? Yeah, I Alex. mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, if you don't score, you can't win. Offense is obviously <laughs> incredibly important. It comes down to that. And, you know, something that both James and Tyler mentioned is, you know, it's all about hard work and hustle. Those are things that can be taught. You know, that can be something that coaches can push into a, into a player. Um, overall skill is something that, you know, Mike Trout is the best offensive player in baseball. You're not going to expect Clayton Kershaw. He can go out and hit every goddamn day for 15 hours a day. He's never going to be able to hit as well as Mike Trout. You know, overall skill, um, you know, there's plenty of, uh, there's also, you know, we've talked about the Rams. We've talked about the Redskins. Great defenses, can't score, not going to go far. Offense is crazy important. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess I'll just kind of second that. Um, it, you know, it, it's that, that. I guess that's all to it. I mean, if you don't score, you're not gonna you're not gonna go anywhere. We saw what happened with the Dallas Stars in the Stanley Cup last last year. They ran into a team higher octane offense, and and. That said, I mean, I'm not going to discount, you know, any defense, but if you, you can do, you can spend all the time in the world, you know, um, keeping the puck out of your net or keeping the, you know, keeping the ball out of your own end zone or, you know, whatever you want to say, or when it comes down to it with the way the rules are changing. And nowadays it's just, 
facilitating more offense. It's making it is making it harder for defenses because offense is becoming more important. I mean, Nick Saban even even um, went on record saying that even he knows that even he's seeing in college football that defenses are becoming so good or are, 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 I'm sorry, offenses are becoming so good that even the best defenses can't, you know, can't stop, you know, high, any high octane offense. Yeah. You have to have enough just to stop them. But, you know, at the end of the day, if your offense is, is subpar, there's no way you're going to be winning in these leagues anymore. Yeah. Those are good points. I mean, the mere fact of, you know, sports involve numbers. And if you got the higher number you win and usually offense is the one producing that number. That's a pretty good point right there. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, also looking at the Rams, they had the top defense. Uh, we don't see them in the Super Bowl. What the fuck Rams? Um, but, you know, you're lo- looking at, you see it now, like a lot of organizations, head coaches, GMs, like some teams, are like, you know, preaching like defense first, defensive minded things um, and vice versa. Like Tyler, you think, uh, you know, being a GM or a a coach, like building your team strictly off defense, like this, will this create that team to be successful? Maybe, you know, make a run and end up winning, winning it all. Yeah, I I think it's obviously both are important. I mean, that's pretty, pretty obvious, but I think, that a lot of really good um, kind of the culture of a team and focus should come from the defensive side. Um, Cause I think that's kind of where it starts. I think that's kind of the basic, the fundamentals of most sports are a lot to do with defense um, and kind of creating that mentality of we're going to do our best to, to keep this system in place to stop their team from scoring, I think is kind of like step one, I think. So I think getting that figured out first um, I think is hugely important and it's, as a fan, you're watching the sport, you know, defense isn't necessarily the, the main focus. It's not as flashy. I think a lot of players don't really want to play defense because it's not as fun. It's more, it's, it's, it's way more fun to, to, to score goal in hockey than it is to take a block shot. You know, it's just, it's, no one loves to play defense. Nice. I hate playing defense. If anyone's ever played sports to me, like I suck at defense because I really don't like playing defense. It's not as fun. I prefer to be the one scoring, um, but it is hugely important. And I think that, it's super important to have a system in place that values defense very, very much because it's vital to a team's success. Yeah. James, I hate giving your Niners credit. I feel like last year when they went to the Super Bowl, they were like that defensive minded team. Um, You know, seeing that coach, I don't don't remember his name. He just got hired by the Jets, didn't he? Or something. Robert Sala. Yeah. Yeah. That dude just always getting hyped on the sidelines, but anything you want to second Tyler or have something to say. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so in the mind of a GM, I definitely want to hire a defensive minded head coach because that defensive minded head coach will instill a different culture. It'll instill a culture of hard work, of effort, a team that doesn't give up, one that has a high motor, a team that doesn't take on take off plays at all, like a team that will work hard. That's the kind of culture that a defensive coach will instill. If you look at it, like you don't ever hear about prima donnas on the defensive side. It's always on the offensive side. It's always those guys are kind of crazy and be like, hey, man, I don't get the ball enough. But on the defensive side, you get the guys who are out there doing their thing. They don't get their name mentioned a lot because they don't get a lot of hype, but they're out there and they're making the team work. And that's the kind of culture that you get when you have a defensive mind head coach. A thing that I like to think about, too, is that defensive coaches play to win while offensive coaches play to score. And where that gets you is that if you try to score too much, you're going to slip up. You're going to be too aggressive and then the defense will take advantage of that and 
play to win. Like at that point, if you're up by 10 points and there's two minutes left, you're not going to try and score another touchdown. You're going to run the ball, run at the clock. That's what you're supposed to do. But an offensive mind head coach might get too aggressive. Defensive minded, the hunker down, run the ball, play some hardball and play and win the game. That's the kind of stuff that I like more so than the high flashy prima donna stuff. Yeah, those are good points. If you're defensively sound, you're less less risk. Um, you know, Sherman versus Crabtree, who do you want to be? Um, my mind just sparked <laughs> trading. We're talking the Bucks here. Bruce Arians, he's an offensive-minded coach. We we said the Bucks are gonna win. Um, why would a guy like Bruce preaching offense, offense first? Like what's so important about that? I guess he's in the Super Bowl, so it must mean something important. Yeah, I mean it- I mean, look at, let's look at football. Let's look at the football. I, I brought up a, a football reference, which has been kind of a mainstay for me, like the whole reference um, fleet of, of website stuff that has all the data I need for all the sports. I love it. Looking at the data of, of you know, team offense league averages per, per game on the offensive side in the NFL, between, I mean, even just looking at between 1992 and 2020, the numbers have been steadily increasing in terms of yards per, per game. I mean, clearly, and, and they're making considerable jumps. Uh, and, you know, rushing wise, the numbers are staying pretty stagnant, but, you know, passing yards is kind of becoming the big thing. And as, and anybody can say here, it's becoming a quarterback league. And that's the focus of, of pretty much every single football team in every single discussion, even in our discussion, what the discussion we had about the Super Bowl was between Patrick Mahomes was largely around Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Not, I mean, there was a little bit of, of discussion on the defensive side, mostly from James, but not from us. I mean, <laughs> like, cause at the end of the day, that's what we, that's what we ca- kind of calibrate everything over, uh, you know, uh, around we calibrate every, you know, team success over the ability of a quarterback in the NFL to, to make plays and to continue and to move chains and to, you know, get the ball in the end zone. I mean, yes, that's, that's kind of the, the big thing. And you're seeing it, you're seeing that, you know, the, the way that all these, like I said earlier, the leagues are, are instilling rules that are making it very hard to, um, are making it harder defensively and easier offensively. It, it's just becoming an o- offensive-minded, you know, sport environment. I, you know, that's just what kind of I'm, I'm seeing right now. So you're saying offensive-minded coach, draft, go, go to Super Bowl, win Super Bowl. It's that simple of a formula. Um, I mean, it's not quite that simple, <laughs> but yes. I'm going to get to Alex. Uh, actually, I got something for Alex baseball wise, but James, I think has like a quick rebuttal, it seems. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are basing it off the fact that me and Tyler are saying that in order for defense to be successful in our mind, it means zero points scored, zero yards gained, completely shut down. That's not what I'm saying. Everything in every single sport is trending up to offense, but I'm saying that the defense still has to play up to par as well. You can't have a shit Absolutely. defense and expect to win. Absolutely. Right. You have to, you have to be up there. You have to be competitive and all the rules are making it so offense will succeed and the defenses have to face that adversity and adapt. And they're not going to put up zeros. They're not going to put up a shutout. But the fact of the matter is they still have to be good enough and yeah. they still have to put up the same effort to compete. Because otherwise, if it's a shootout, the better offensive team will win if there's no defense. But the defense is what offsets that offensive shootout. That's what I'm so saying. So you're saying, like, don't watch a game like Falcons versus Chargers because their defenses are just complete horseshit? Yeah, Eric, to, to kind of like, you know what? I don't even care that, that, that we're, you know, separated into groups. I'm just going to go to James's point and actually agree. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll take the data from <laughs> the NHL and say, you know, since 1980 of the 38 teams that won the Stanley cup through 2018, 
nine teams who who were who won were tenth or worse in goals against. And of the thirty-eight teams who won the same period, only six teams have won with a with the cup with a tenth or worse regular season's goals for, which means you have to have an above average defense, but you also have to have a very high caliber offense in general, if you want to win the Stanley cup. And mostly if you, if you look at it in the NFL, it's going to be about the same. If you are a below average defense to to James's point, I don't care how good your offense is, is you're probably not going to be going very far. I think that's what his point was. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alex Bates talking baseball here. Uh, you look at the Dodgers last year, they win the damn world series. Um, you know, they're fucking they seem to be the a high-powered offensive baseball team constant hits constant guys on base constant runs being scored you know Mookie Betts Jock Peterson Turner all those guys um you know how important building a team like that in baseball you know you that's a, a good example of just offense winning games right yeah, I mean, for, you know, kind of following up on James's point where all of these leagues are like trending to more offensive minded things. Baseball is becoming harder and harder offensively because every single guy that comes out of that bullpen is throwing 95 plus. Every single guy has a nasty splitter, a nasty slider, a nasty curve, whatever it is. It's getting harder and harder to hit. And you see it year after year. There's more and more. Uh, strikeouts, there's more and more walks. People are getting less hits overall. Yes, James, people are hitting more homers because people are changing the way they swing the bat to accommodate the fact that dude, we literally cannot get enough hits to get rallies going. So the best way is to just try to homer the other team. And we're seeing um, more strikeouts and then, you as know, well, right? We're seeing, yeah, exactly. Every year there's more, well, not this year, obviously, because they played like zero games, but <laughs> every year there's more and more strikeouts. Um, you know, every year you, if you, you know, if you're listening to baseball podcasts or, you know, t- talk shows or whatever, those guys that have those bat to ball skills, like, uh, like an Anthony Rendon of the angels, he never strikes out. He hits all over the, like all over the field. Those guys are far and far, um, you know, they're not in the league as often, I guess, anymore. You know, there's not guys like Ichiro who like, you know, he's not, he's going to hit three homers a year, but he's going to hit three fifty. Um, so yeah, for baseball, like, it's totally different. Um, you need to build a well-rounded offense or you don't have a chance. You just don't have a chance. Like look at the yeah. Rays. They had a great pitching staff, great defense. Their offense, you know, it got them to the World Series, but they were completely overmatched by the Dodgers. We're a much better offensive team and we're good enough when the pitching and the defense side. Yeah. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, last, we'll just go around. Um, I'm going to put everybody on the spot. Let's start with Tyler. Uh, who is the best defensive team and the best offensive team you've ever you've ever watched? That was obviously, hopefully, successful. Wow! And we'll go around the we'll go around the horn. We'll go with me last, so I could think about a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for putting me on the spot right away with that one. So you go first. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, well I'm gonna go. Well, maybe hey, how about you think of one, and if you can't think of both, we'll go around. Okay. Start a, with a defense. Recent memory off the top of my head. I think offensively, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs last year and even this year. Like, just that offense is just amazing to watch. Um, defensively, uh, honestly, when the LA Kings were winning oh, their cups, <laughs> that defensive system was just so, so good. And I think that's the reason why they won those cups was because of defense. Defense first. Yeah, I was going to um, say de- that for my defensive team, the Kings, but I'll switch it. 
I guess I hate to give this team credit. Um, the defense uh, that maybe I saw that was most successful was the Seahawks when they won that their their one Super Bowl against the Broncos. Literally just destroyed Peyton Manning and their whole their whole offense. Um, utter domination, as Traden would say. I got to get back to. I got to keep thinking of an offensive team. Um, James, you got you got anything? Yeah, for defense, I'm going to say the Patriots team of last year or two years ago, the one that was literally ranked among the top 10 ever in terms of defense because of how many points they didn't give up. Uh, I mean, to be honest, they played against some pretty shit teams, but the numbers <laughs> the numbers definitely indicate that they're one of the best teams, defensive teams that have ever played this game. Um, offensively, I think, was, was it the Padres last year that were just absolutely just dominating and just hitting home runs left and right. That was cool. That was fun to watch. That got me really into baseball. And uh, real fast, I want to give a quick shout out to Alex because, damn, dude, like I was all defense up until he made that baseball point. And now I'm thinking, damn, offense on baseball. That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, I'm going to like go with a. This is a crazy hot take, but this is what I always do. I'm going to go with the current uh, team that I think will have the highest powered offense. I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you got the dude named Connor McDavid paired with Leon Drysaddle. Here's one thing they should do, Traden. Put Drysaddle on another line, dude, because he'll make other guys get They have for a season and a half. Yeah, bro. Connor's we'll continue one. to do it because they didn't <laughs> do it last year in the playoffs. Or did they? Yes, they did. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe put them back on the line with McDavid then if they want to win more games. But we geez, those facts. guys, those guys I just saw, they're leading the league in all points, uh, both of them. So what a surprise. But that's that's a high octane offense. Um, who knows? Maybe they get one more little piece there. Um, things could things could change for them. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, so the defensive ones, like as I'm thinking of them, you guys are saying them. Uh, so like I had the Patriots, like when they beat the Rams in the playoff in the Super Bowl, and then I had the Seahawks. Um, so I was, I'm gonna also kind of go off like the maybe like the 20, what was it, the 2012 Ravens, whenever they beat the Niners, like Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs. Oh, Ray Lewis, oh, that team was ridiculous, man. Good defense, that's a really good all over the place, yeah. Um, and then offensively, those late 90s Yankees teams were unreal offensively or like the 2001 Mariners with like a young Griffey, Edgar Martinez, like a 21 year old, a rod, uh, some of the like each euro. Yeah. That 2001 Mariners team won like 117 games or something like that. Unreal offensive teams. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. We're, we're pulling out the fucking tool shed. Yeah. yeah, No, it's good though. It's sparking like my memory of all these things trading. Yeah. Last so, but not least. So I'm going to start with uh, the the offense, and it has to be the 1983-84 Edmonton Oilers. They were, they guys, they put up, they put up <laughs> 140 5.57 goals per game. The question said that you've That's seen, but no, it's fine. I want to hear it anyways. Tell me. <laughs> this this team, this team would be able to. I mean, they had the they had the greatest talent. In the NHL, I mean, they had Paul Coffey, Yari Curry, Mark Messier. Oh, and by the way, they had Wayne Gretzky. Not a big deal. Yeah, they were, they, <laughs> they were the best offensive team 
in NHL history. So there you go. Defensively, I'm going to give you guys your 2012 LA Kings. They did not let anything in like zero. I mean, and they, and they were the worst offensive team. Actually they were, I'm sorry. They were second to last in offense. Boy, years oh, I, well, Cup. I think you just proved who won the debate. They won then. the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yep. Yes. That, that, the so they were the worst off. offensive team. But the best <laughs> defense. The Stanley Cup. Defense. <laughs> defense. They, 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 are, they are the anomaly that is defense first, boys. <laughs> yeah. Because well, here's the well, thing, I think their shooting percentage was so shitty during the regular season, but they just started to find their stride in the postseason. I mean, that's really what matters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff Carter's the man, that's why. Yeah, Jeff Carter, baby. He, we got him with the bleached hair and everything from Columbus. Yeah, we're destined to win. Um, listeners, thank you. We'll leave it up to you guys. Uh, hopefully, you guys like our little debates we got going. Uh, we'll keep them going. Uh, we love to argue with each other and then agree with each other and then argue again. That's just how we are. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I got for this week, Tyler. Thank you, Eric. Always love talking about the super interesting. Everyone always makes some really good points that I, you know, didn't think about and always a, always a great debate to have. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to have our first little weekly NHL segment with a uh, trade. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to skate into hockey right here. Uh, let's do that <laughs> hockey trading. Yeah, dude. Look, I mean, I like that we're skating into hockey. I like that. Um, this is my first week where I'm not actually giving you guys a preview. I'm just kind of talking about what happened in the last yeah. you know, week or so. Yeah. Uh, this is nice. Um, but first, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't give everyone an update. We are doing um, NHL fantasy hockey. So I'll, I'll give an update um alex as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast you're right. undefeated right. um i believe you beat um me. did you beat tyler yeah me. so so yeah. tyler tyler lost there yep. um james you are give me two seconds i had it right here um one and two james you are one. yeah one and two uh you yeah. have a rough week against eric eric if i would have played anybody else i would have won yeah that happens the hell man and I barely beat my fiance Kylie um, <laughs> yeah, to make it myself two and one. She is still zero and three, unfortunately. She, I think she's like zero and five in in the NBA as well. But um, <laughs> opposite we'll, of Alex, we'll, we'll try and figure that out. But guys, this the la- the first three weeks of hockey have been quite entertaining. Um, I've been catching I've been catching as many games as I can here and there. Um, what do you guys? I mean, before I get into like top main topics, I mean, what are you guys' feelings on the on the season? I mean, for what you've seen, I mean, do you guys like the hockey? Is it is it is it exciting? Um, you know, are we are are the fans just something that's kind of jarring to you, or you know, what were your thoughts? I like hockey. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just I'm just happy to have hockey back. Honestly, yeah, same. yeah. It's, yeah it's, I wish it's they were refreshing. Um, yeah. Seeing the Kings play, you know, even you know they're. They're playing all right. You know, like I think I mentioned that other day. I'm really excited for this first Kings Ducks game for the first time yes. in a long time. Those are always fun to watch. They are. Um, yeah, not having fans kind of sucks. I think having fans along the glass and stuff really made it makes hockey like watching hockey at home like that much better. But it's it's just great to have hockey back. I agree. Um, hockey expert, real fast. Yep. What do the Ducks need to do to 
you know, score goals. <laughs> yeah. Score two power play goals. Look, look, you guys have a, you guys have four or five kids that are, you know, 22 on still entry-level contracts. You have the, I mean, you do have the best goalie probably in the game right now. Um, he is my MVP right now because he's keeping you guys in games, but here's the reality, man. Over half of your games are win one goal games against some really, really good teams. And it's not like you're the, it's not like you're the Ottawa senators that are getting blown out. They have a, they have a negative 22 goal differential. You guys have, you guys do have, have a minus 11, but it's also because of the last two games lost They're all their way. And, and those one goal games hurt. I mean, look, the goals are going to come. You guys are playing defensively fairly well. I mean, at the end of the, you're not putting, you're not letting in a lot of goals. I think that you got to give your, give you and your ducks a little bit of slack because look, you guys are in a rebuild year. Um, you guys have the best goalie. He's playing fantastic, but you know, the goals just aren't there yet, but you got to maintain, as we went back to this discussion, you have to maintain the defensive side and the goals will just come. I would trade in. It's going to be okay. No TLDR bumps for the ducks, especially right before they play the Kings. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is this? Now. It could be a TLDR dump. We don't know. Yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, getting into some news around the league. Um, I know this is kind of stale news, um, but here, Luke Dubois um, of the for, formerly with the um, um, Columbus Blue Jackets was traded to Winnipeg um, for Patrick Line and um, Ross Levick from, from Winnipeg. Um uh, alongside Pierre-Luc Dubois, there was a pick that went with it. But the big news was the fact that he did come out, as James mentioned a few podcasts ago, he did come out um, asking for a trade. Um, it kind of spiraled out of control a couple weeks ago where um, he was given, you know, on his, I think it was like a third shift of the game. He had four minutes and some seconds of ice time. And on his last shift of the game, I saw what I never thought I would see in a professional hockey player, especially one that as young as he is, he had one of the most ridiculous shifts I've ever seen. He was lackadaisical. He did not care. He was not playing for his team. John Tortorella was absolutely furious as he should be and benched him for the rest of the game. And then that's where it kind of spiraled out of control, kind of put this, um, put this trade in, in hyperdrive and that deal was done. But I, 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 you know, that aside, I look at Dubois and how he asked for a trade and it, and it kind of looks similar to what happened in the NBA with James Harden earlier this year. And we're starting to see a lot more players around the, around all the leagues kind of start to ask, you know, their teams for trades when they're kind of in a disgruntled state. So, you know, most recently in the NFL, we saw Deshaun Watson ask for a trade um, and he's gone so far as to, you know, completely remove the Texans from his social media. He's so, so upset with them. Um, we've also in the NHL, we've seen Sam Bennett recently asked for a trade um, from Calgary and uh, Victor Mete from Montreal has also asked for, for a change of scenery. But James, I just wanted to ask, I mean, it, it seems like these, the, I mean, I, I know that, P, that players in the past have asked for trades and we've, you know, it, it is what it is, but it seems like it's becoming more and more of a normalized thing. And I, for, I just want to ask, what are your feeling on the, uh, on that kind of trend? And, and is this something that's going to be kind of a new normal for us in the pro sports? Um, I think it is to a certain extent. Uh, you have, the caveat is you have to have some sort. You have to be good. Like if you demand a trade and you're a trash player like Rodney Magruder, like that's it's not happening. Um, you have to have some sort of name value. You have to have. You have to be good essentially. Otherwise, it doesn't matter at all. I think the reason why this is happening now it's because for two reasons. The first one is that markets don't really matter anymore. Back in the day, like people would play for shit coaches and shit teams if it meant 
playing for a big market. Like people would go play in New York for the Knicks and the Knicks were terrible, but it meant they got to play for the Knicks at a big, big spot, you know, standing with the LA team. Nobody really wanted to play for Minnesota for basketball, for example. And nobody really wanted to play for Winnipeg until now. Now Pierre Luc Dubois wants to play for Winnipeg because markets don't matter. And that is leads me to my next point is that social media and the internet play a huge part in this because a player's dissatisfaction and happiness is amplified tenfold. It kind of snowballs. Like you can say one thing on Twitter and people exaggerate it. And then all of a sudden you hear it more and more. And you as a player who made the first comment are now thinking and integrating what you're seeing into your mind. And now it's bigger. So he came out, I was like, hey, man, I wasn't happy with my playtime here. So now I want to get traded. And you think about it, you're like, damn, maybe I do want to be traded. And it goes from there. Mm -hmm. So players start to really believe in their own claims. Honestly, I'm not a fan of it. In my opinion, you signed a contract. You made a promise to that team, to that city, to those players and those fans. Honor it. Like, if you didn't like it, you should have figured all that out before and before you signed the contract. Yeah. It's not the fans' fault that you don't like it there, dude. Like, get over it. But on the flip side of that, I think as we as a nation and a country start to develop a different way of looking at things and start to really take into account people's, the humans kind of mental well-being, I think this is beneficial for that because now players have their mentality in a good spot rather than being in distress all the time. But that it kind of goes, there's like a little tightrope, you know, it's like being mentally sound versus making a lot of money and staying true to your promises. And that's, that's a difficult thing about all this. Do you think that, I mean, do you think that the way that some players do it make a difference? I mean, we've seen, we've seen some players just say, ask for a trade, but they, as we saw actually with, uh, with Patrick line, but he committed to playing hard every shift for the Winnipeg jets, no matter what, until he's traded, he's not going to give up on his team. And then you see Pierre-Luc Dubois do something that I've never, like I said, never seen before, gave up on his team, so to speak. And then we're also seeing Deshaun Watson go as far as to completely, you know, scrub his whole name of the, of the, of the te- uh, Houston Texans. Is it a case by case basis or, you know, is this just, you know, I, I guess, d- does your um, sympathy kind of run case by case or is it kind of uniform that you don't really like it, but it's kind of becoming normal? <laughs> As a human, it's definitely case by case. Like you feel for some players more than you feel for others. Like if Deshaun Watson pulled what um, Pierre-Luc Dubois did, I'd still be on Deshaun Watson's side, mainly because he's a good dude and he's done it the right way. Not okay, He's not doing it the right way, but he has valid reasons for not wanting definitely. to be in Houston anymore. Definitely. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, it's going to matter how much you want to get out of there. If you want to expedite it and the situation is that bad in your opinion, and it's all relative. Like we can't judge Pierre-Luc Dubois for his sufferings because we don't know it's all relative but if you want to get out of there fast enough and right away that's what you're going to do it's going to expedite it. it doesn't make you look good but it'll make him happy so it's case by case basis i like that it was definitely effective um it was very interesting um good luck to him up in winnipeg and good luck to patrick liney in um columbus i look forward to seeing his goal scoring on that team uh, moving on it was rain gretzky's birthday on the 25th of january um tyler what I mean, Wayne Gretzky has been such a is such an icon in the NHL. He's the greatest hockey player ever, ever played game. Um, what do you think his biggest and most you know significant contributions to hockey have been thus far? Just kind of giving some some praise to the great one today. For sure, happy happy birthday, Wayne Gretzky, uh, six zero. We we we've talked about um, his 
absolute dominance in his sport in previous podcasts. And but the question was more like, what is his biggest contribution? And I, for me, it's hands down the growth of hockey in the United States, particularly in non-traditional hockey states being what, you know, kind of West Coast, California, Sunbelt kind of area uh, states in the, in the country. Um, you've look, if you look at all of the stats of, of teams that have expanded to those areas and youth participation and just overall participation in hockey um, in the United States has grown exponentially um, since his years after he got traded to the LA Kings. Um, after, after he joined the LA Kings, we saw uh, the, the NHL expand to places like Tampa Bay, Miami, San Jose, Anaheim, places that you probably would never think, you'd probably laugh if you said, hey, there's going to be a hockey team in Miami. Like in the, in, in the 80s and 70s, like people were like, what are you talking about? There's no chance of that. <laughs> um, but there is now, and they're, pretty, and they're, and they're doing pretty okay. Um, and then people started, started to play more hockey. You know, it, he, he influenced a lot of people like, wow, hockey looks super fun. You know, this guy's, you know, carving up the ice. He's, he's, he's amazing. Um, just a few stats for you. Um, since he started playing in, in, in Los Angeles during, during those years in the early uh, mid-90s, uh, 15 states saw an increase in hockey participation by 150% or greater, um, especially headlined by those states that I said are, are non-traditional. So North Carolina, they saw a 500% increase. Florida saw an 800% increase. And the state of Texas saw 1,150% increase uh, in, 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 in hockey. And you're seeing youth teams and teams all over from California winning national championships, um, which is insane. You're seeing more and more players in the NHL from, from the United States and, and places like California, Texas, Florida, um, places that, tr again, traditionally are not good, are not, um, don't breed uh, hockey players. And you're seeing the U.S. national team have, have, have more success, as we saw last month at the World Juniors beating Team Canada for the gold medal. So. I think there's easily as soon as Wayne Gretzky came to Los Angeles, the the amount of hockey that has exploded in this country since then has spiked, and I think you just that for me is his biggest contribution. Definitely, I mean, August 9th, nineteen eighty, will live in infamy in Canada, and will live in. Well, I mean, he has a banner in 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 in, in uh, Staples Center as a result of that trade. Um, they're still crying to this day. Um, Look, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's the expansion. I mean, uh, it, it, the expansion of those teams in those Sunbelt states, uh, you know, a lot of them have cups. I mean, the Kings have a cup. The Ducks Ooh, have a cup. Tamp, Tamp, yeah, you're right. They do. Uh, Tampa Bay has two now. I mean, Tampa Bay is, I mean, that's just fantastic to me. Um, and also, you know, the growth of, of, of players from these areas is also growing. I mean, we have, we have uh, Austin Matthews in the league and he's from NorCal. I mean, and he's one of the best ever, you know, one of the best in the league right now. I think it's, I think it's very special. I also want to tip my hat to the way he actually changed the way we play hockey, uh, in, you know, inspiring more of a team-based play. He was a small guy. He didn't have the strength. So he wasn't, a he knew that he wasn't able to, co to combat the fact that everyone's going to be converging on him because back in the day, you just pretty much dished to the best player and he did his thing kind of, I mean, it's kind of, I guess we could say about basketball to an extent, but um, even probably more so in that you just give it to, to, to your best player and he does his thing. But um, Gretzky just wasn't big enough. So what he did is he involved his other teammates. He started passing the puck around a little bit, making his moves away from the puck to, to create the space. And that's the kind of hockey that we see today. And uh, so, you know, if, if we look at, you know, stats wise between 1982 and 85, 
the, I mean, his Oilers averaged 423 goals a season and no team prior to that ever scored 400. So <laughs> clearly he made an impact um, to, on the game of hockey from a, from an actual like, strategic standpoint. Um, so thank you, Tyler. Uh, moving on to the third topic I got. Alex Ovechkin scored his game, scored a game winner in his first game back from his four-game COVID suspension just seconds into OT against the Bruins. Um, he scored from the damn top of the circles. Like his release is just unbelievable. So Alex, he he is tied for seventh in the in the all-time scoring list. Um, and my question for you is: Do you think that this guy has the ability to encroach Gretzky's goal level of eight hundred and ninety? Yeah. So I listened to a podcast a couple years ago about this as they were kind of like doing the math and figuring it out. And I think he does have a legitimate shot. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he is one of the most durable superstar players in any sport we have ever seen. So for instance, he turned 30 in 2015. You know, typically we see in sports, you turn 30, you start to decline unless your name is Tom Brady or LeBron James. Um, he's missed, what is it? 10, four, sorry. He's missed four games since then, since 2015 from injury, not COVID related, not, you know, four games on, obviously we talked about last week, uh, or whatever that was. Hockey is an incredibly physical sport. He's missed four games. Sidney Crosby's missed about 400 in between them. <laughs> Just okay. That was a little bit of an overstatement. Well, but, <laughs> am I wrong? Like Crosby's missed a shit ton of games. Basically similar ratio. Yeah, he's, he's incredibly durable. His scoring is it, – it comes in bunches. It comes in different ways. You know, on the power play, he's lethal. He's got you know, one of the greatest shots in the history of the NHL. And then also just the time period that he plays in. The amount of care that the NHL players take on their bodies now or all athletes compared to, you know, back you know when Gretzky played. I mean, we've heard – you know, Russell Wilson and LeBron James say they spend a million dollars a year just to upkeep their bodies. I mean, Ovechkin, you know, is probably not spending that much doing whatever the hell he's doing in Mother Russia. But, you know, the amount of just technology he has, um, I think he's got a shot. So it looks like he's going to need at least five or six more seasons to do it, Mm -hmm. roughly. Um, He scores about 0.61 goals a game. So it's pretty much like a goal every two games or so, roughly. Um, so maybe five or six more seasons, I think it's going to become, it's going to be really close. And unfortunately, if it doesn't happen, one of the reasons could be, you know, the 50 ish games we're losing from the end of last year's regular season to how much we're losing in this year's regular season due to COVID. I mean, that's 20, you know, if he's scoring once every two games, that's 25 goals, you know, that's a good chunk of the way there. So I think he's got a shot. I hope he makes it. Um, you know, Ovechkin and Crosby have kind of been like the guys are, you know, for us as in our age group in hockey. And I mean, even Gretzky said, like, I hope he does it. It's great. You know, yeah. no one's going to deny that Gretzky's a much better overall player than Ovechkin, but I hope he does it personally. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, I, 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 I have I've had my reservations about Ovechkin until until his most recent um, 2018 Stanley Cup win, where he actually learned how to play defense. That said, he is the in my opinion, and I think you can agree, he is the greatest goal scorer to ever play this game. Yeah. Like you said, the athletes in general are better nowadays. It's harder to score. Goal goals come at a premium, and he's o- he's only you know 186 game goals away from the delete, from the from the top goal scorer, even in an era that is way harder to score in. I think that that already puts him in the in the top echelon of of greatest goal scorers ever. I I'm with you. I think he can do it. Math says he can. 
Um, but I think that, you know, COVID definitely t- put a wrench in it, but I'm, I'm with you. I think he's going to, I think he's going to make it. Yeah. I mean, maybe he just takes a leaf out of Yarmir Yager's book and he just plays till he's 45 and there you go. You know, there you go. And here's the thing. I think he can, I think he's going to be more of an impact than he, than, uh, than Yarmir Yager is. I mean, I love the guy, but he wasn't much of an impact towards the end there, unfortunately. <laughs> um, moving on to my last point. Um, so Kevin Fiala um, was suspended by LA Kings, Matt Roy. I'm sorry, was suspended due to a hit on King LA Kings defenseman, Matt Roy. But later, uh, later in the week, we saw no suspension um, from Dylan Dubé's hit on just Barry caught Kenny Um I, So Eric, I'm going to give you a quick kind of rundown of what kind of happened and give the, the viewers kind of a rundown if they haven't seen it. So Kevin Fiala was chasing a dump puck into the defensive zone. Or I'm sorry, to the Kings defensive zone, chasing Matt Roy into the corner. He proceeded to shove Roy from the back, you know, all numbers all the way through. Um, and the Department of Player Safety determined that, you know, Kevin Fiala did shove him from the boards a few feet out, which is to me textbook boarding. I mean, that's the two minute penalty no matter what. Um, Kevin had complete, I'm sorry, Fiala had complete control of how he, how the play developed. So that, that came into play. He didn't have to hit him or he could have changed the way he did hit him. Um, Matt Roy was hurt on the play. Um, and he was given a uh, three, uh, I believe a three game suspension for that one. But like I said, this weekend, we saw Dylan Dubé of Calgary lay a hit on Montreal's Jesper um, Kakeniemi. We saw Kakeniemi corral the puck behind his own net and he's getting pressure from the strong side. So he turned around and, and um, changed directions um, in, in which he ran right into, or I guess he got nailed right by Dylan Dubé coming the other way who really kind of dropped his shoulder up jumped up a little bit and the principal point of contact was the head. The, de- the department of player safety said that the play did not um, warrant it. First of all, it wasn't a penalty and could um, second of all, it was, did not warrant a suspension because the department of player safety said that Dubé's hit to the head was unavoidable. First of all, I don't know if you saw it, but did you find, do you think that the Dylan Dubé hit is suspension worthy? Yes. That, you know, that hit reminded me of uh the Kachuk hit on Dowdy when he's like, this is when he first kind of made his identity to be like the next rat in the league. It's the same style of a hit. Um, Kakeniemi has his head down, but he's getting the puck. He's turning around. As he's turning around, you see Dubé like starting to charge at him. As he turns around, Dubé like, it's not like he changes levels or anything, but he's just already at the level of his head and just fucking Definitely. clocks him. So, yeah, I think it is a suspension, maybe like a one to two. Um, I don't think in the, to the Fiala one. Yeah, please do. Uh, fuck Matt Fiala. Is his name Kevin, Matt Fiala? Whatever Kevin the fuck Fiala. his name is. Fuck. Yeah, Kevin Fiala. That was a dirty piece of shit rat hit. Um, you know, they say when you're, when you're looking at the numbers to, to ease off, he you watch him extend his arms out as they're getting like, just enough space in between the boards. He shoved Roy into the boards. He could have broken his neck. He gave him a concussion. I heard a story too. Um, so right before that, Walker on the Kings takes a 90-mile-per-hour slap shot to the mouth from Dumba, which was, you know, accidental. So he comes off. He's bleeding all over the place. I think like three or four minutes later is when the Roy hit happens. There's like trails of blood from the ice to the training room. Um and, you know, the athletic trainers are doing all they can to just keep these guys stable. And, you know, so Fiala doing that, it, it, he couldn't, he could have avoided it, avoided it. Um, he didn't. 
the Dubé hit, he could have avoided it. He didn't like the Dubé hit. He still could have hit him, but like hip check him or something, you know, yeah. like don't extend your arms and cross check him in the face. Um, so they sh- both are suspension worthy. The Fiala one, I think he only got three games. Like, I don't know if he has any other offenses. He has zero. zero so uh, that's probably why. And then that gets me right into your other question. The, the NHL is co- inconsistent, I think, with their suspension calls um, because – you know, that even though the Fiala hits his first offense, that was a really bad one. Like, I think that should have been at least five, you know, uh, five games. Um, the Dubé one, I think that's his first suspension yep. as well. Like, one to two games is okay with that. But, you know, a lot of times they just base it off like, all right, you know, it's Lucic. This is his third time. Let's give him like seven games where it's like, Sometimes they don't de- depend off the severity more just like that. Oh, he's a repeat offender. So they need to just be more consistent with that in that yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. The consistency is an issue. I definitely think that the, that the Dubé hit was a, was a suspension worthy hit. I don't think it was worth three, but I think it was worth two. As for Kevin Fiala, it's interesting because he's been hit like that before and been sent to the, uh, the dressing room himself. So I'm surprised that they do that, that he did it, but Hey, that that's kind of a hockey. It's just the way it goes. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I I'm very shocked that um, caught Kenny or I'm sorry, Dylan Dubé did not get suspended, but it is what it is. I'm sorry. Montreal fans, just get him back. Um, just get him back in the next game. Um, but Hey, that is my, uh, that is my round about the NHL news. Um, Tyler, that that's all I got this week. Thank you, Traden. Always love t- talking hockey with you, and it's it's always fun to talk about it as we're as the season is happening. So uh, we're excited about it, and we're looking forward to many more of these as the rest of the season continues. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna go to the other other sport going on right now, the NBA, and Alex is gonna take us through yet another awesome NBA segment. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back to our last segment here on the podcast. We're talking NBA basketball and our NBA guy, Alex, take it away. Yeah, so uh, just like Traden said, um, you know, I'm going to go over our fantasy things as well. I am 6-0 and and in first place. Uh, James is fair and well. He's 4-2, and two, and then both Traden and Tyler are 2-4. and four. Uh, It's pretty embarrassing. It's brutal. Um, so, yeah, so the NBA is still going on. We're – uh, more of a quarter of the way through the season already, which is pretty insane. Um, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but we were all talking about it in our group chat uh, while this game was going down. So this uh, Wizards-Nets game, that happened on Sunday. We're not going to get into it in the main part of the of our my little segment right here, but I saw this crazy stat and I thought it needed to be said. So if you haven't paid attention or haven't seen this, uh, the Wizards were down by five-plus points with 10 seconds left. They hit back-to-back threes, and they won. Um, In the last 25 seasons, teams that are down by five-plus points with 10 seconds or less have won nine times, and they've lost (laughs) 23,498 games. Nine and 23,498. And two of those nine happened this weekend. One happened on Saturday. Oh, my God. Is that one of the craziest things you have ever heard? Twenty three thousand <laughs> losses. Insane. I thought you were gonna stop at like twenty three. No, yeah, yeah twenty three thousand. It is in the last twenty five seasons, so it is like a fair amount of time. But it's, it's wild. I just thought I thought we had to talk about that. Um, 
but yeah, so moving in to the NBA, um, uh, Dame Lillard, he did it again. He hit a three uh, to win it for the Trailblazers over the Bulls. Um, you know, he did it over Paul George and the Thunder in the playoffs. He did it to the Rockets in the playoffs. Ty, Dame Lillard, most clutch player in the NBA. I mean, we have to talk about him. Yeah, so it kind of depends on how you define clutch. Yeah. For, for, for Dame's purpose, let's say it's hitting that buzzer beater shot. In recent years, I would say, yeah, Dame Lillard has been the most clutch guy in the NBA. Um, only two players in NBA history have hit multiple walk-off series clinching shots at the buzzer, and that's Michael Jordan and Damian Lillard. Only guys that have done that. And of course, this, yeah, pretty good company. And of course, this last one that he hit this week, another amazing moment. Um, but I would say it, I would, for closing out games, I think there are two guys that are better than Damian Lillard, and that would be LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, LeBron James just closing it out because he, he, he can do it all on, 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 the, on the floor. I mean, he, he can hit the three. He can drive the basket. He can do a pull-up jumper. He can make a good pass to a, a, a wide-open teammate, and he can play defense. We, we all remember the, 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 the block that he had in that uh, NBA, NBA Finals game against the Warriors a, a, a few years ago. Um, he is probably one of the best overall closers in the game. Uh, he is seven for 15 on go-ahead shots in the final five seconds of playoff games in his career. That is a better percentage than, than Michael Jordan in those same shots. Um, but Kawhi Leonard might arguably be the, the most clutch guy in the game. Uh, he is number one in the NBA in free throw percentage in the final five minutes of a game, which a lot of people don't think about free throws as being clutch, but those are arguably probably the most clutch shots you can have in the last few, in the last few minutes of a game because there's always a lot of fouls going on, and those are really, really huge points. Um, he has also made more game tying or go ahead shots in the final minute of a game than any other player over the last three seasons. Uh, so with those in mind, I would have to say Kawhi probably is the most clutch overall. LeBron James is, is right there too. But with those exciting buzzer beater shots that are just, that are those wow, like awesome moments. I mean, Dame Lillard's got to, got to be the number one guy. Yeah. I think part of it too, is two of them have been in the playoffs to close out series and they're from yeah. like 40 feet. Like they right. are Far, yeah, far beyond. Like, like, like wow factor, like amazing yeah. moments like Dame Lillard yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, the one, especially the one against the Thunder. I mean, Paul George is known for being one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And Dame just hit him from 38 feet. Just yeah. Silenced him. It was Crazy. nuts. I, lo- I think it's also just I love Dame Lillard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think Kawhi is probably the best closer right now in the NBA. Um, he's also just got his Kawhi straight and steady kind of the boring man or whatever you call him. Yeah. Uh, consistency. Yeah, the consistency. <laughs> um, moving on to the best rivalry in the NBA, it's Lakers-Celtics. It's maybe not as what it used to be with the Magic and Bird. Um, but so the Lakers and Celtics played this a couple days ago. The Lakers squeaked it out. Um, they probably should have lost that game, to be completely honest. But I want to talk about Boston. Um, I think it's time to start worrying about them. They lost Marcus Smart to this game to a calf injury, which for basketball players is obviously incredibly important um, muscle in your lower leg to, you know, to play basketball with. Uh, Kemba Walker just came back. He was one for 12 for, with four points in that Lakers loss. And he missed, I don't know, an eight-footer that could have won it for them. Uh, Eric, what do you, is it time to worry about the Celtics? I mean, I, they were all pretty high on our power rankings to start the season. And they feel like they're slowly dropping. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I had them super high and like not even the 76ers. And now that's completely changed. Um, 
shit. I don't know. As you just described that earlier, I put, nah, we shouldn't be worried. But, like, I don't know. If you think about it, we're one-third through the season. We're almost, like, 25 games in. There's 72 games, I think, this year. I forget how many. Something like that. But So, like, looking at this second, like, the the two-thirds part of their season now, like, they're on their West Coast trip. They got the Warriors tomorrow. They got the Clippers Friday, the Nuggets, the Raptors, the Jazz, the Wizards, the Hawks, the Mavs. Like, these are their next games coming up. Then the Suns. Um, you know, after looking at the schedule like that, they don't have Marcus Smart. If they got Kemba Walker, who's kind of playing in a sl- in slump mode, uh, you know, this is – they're going to drop down. It's, it's going to – this might make a uh, tougher, you know, playoff run for them. Like, they may – they're kind of doing what I thought the Sixers were going to do this year and like start well and drop off. And that seems like what they're going to be doing right now. Um, You know, I I think it's going to be up to this, like this second portion of the season. Like if they can survive this little, this, this next upcoming stretch, you know, uh, win enough games without Marcus Smart, which is going to be tough. That guy's a big part of their identity. So, you know, the true test I think is this next upcoming part is going to be the toughest part of their season and uh, if it's if they struggle, they they might have some identity issues, um, which may lead into the playoffs. So I'm leaving it up for grabs. But you know, now that I'm saying this more and more, I think I am a little worried about them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's time to worry. Um, I didn't even mention they lost back-to-back games to the Sixers earlier in the week too. Um, you know, who are one of the elite teams in the East right now. Um, you know, they have uh Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are a dynamic duo and they're playing well and they're on my fantasy team which is great um but they need more help um and I'm starting to worry about them I was high on the Celtics at the beginning of season um but I'm I'm falling on them quick or fading on them quick I guess uh we're gonna move out west now so the hottest team in the NBA over the last couple of weeks was the Utah Jazz they had won 11 straight and then they played their Rocky Mountain division rival the Denver Nuggets and the Nuggets pulled it out um you know, we were high on the Nuggets, too, at the beginning of the season, and then they kind of came out of the gate struggling after they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. They've started rolling. They cut off this Utah Jazz steamroll. Uh, James, we're talking about the uh, these teams in the mountains up here. Um, are you know Which one of these teams do you think has the best shot of making the Western Conference Finals, possibly playing one of those L.A. teams? Um, what do you think about these two teams? I definitely think the Jazz are a favorite, in my opinion. Uh, a couple of reasons. The first one is they had an 11 game win streak. That's very hard to do in the NBA. It's hard to do in any sport winning 11 games in a row. So that has confidence going their way. Uh, they also are the way more complete team. They have a guard that can pretty much score at will in Donovan Mitchell. They got a big body rebounder who can patrol the post and Rudy Gobert, a stretch forward that can shoot the three in Bogdanovich, a vet point guard that can run the offense in Mike Conley and a favorite for six man of the year in Jordan Clarkson. And they also have a couple of guys off the bench that can come and start if they need them to be. They're actually the third best three-point shooting team in the NBA right now, making 39.9% of their three-pointers. And they're the third best defensive team. They also are they also are leading the league in rebounds per game with 57.8 and tied for first in offensive rebounds, which is 11.7. That shows you energy. That shows you effort. That shows you their drive. Because rebounding, honestly, it's all effort. You can be as tall as – you can be at Yao Ming size, but if you don't try it, you're not going to get that ball. It's boxing out. It's getting up there. It's giving your body. It's getting up to get the ball. Um, in addition to all that, something Traden brought up at the beginning of this podcast is adversity. And the Jazz have faced a lot of adversity going back to last season. 
if you guys don't remember, Rudy Gobert was the one who started this whole coronavirus thing and caused basically the nation to shut down. <laughs> Honestly, if you think about it, like oh, wow. <laughs> no, the coronavirus, that guy, that the NBA <laughs> shut down. Go back to the France, NBA shut down, and then all of a sudden, the United States shut down, and it was in literally that order. It was all like, his fault. That yeah, it's, it's, it's literally all him. It's all Rudy Gobert. If he didn't get it, we may not be in this position right now. Who knows? Oh but <laughs> fact of the matter is, yeah, he was dicking around with the microphone and shit. <laughs> there was a lot of tension between <laughs> Gobert and the rest of his team. That's since been ironed out, as you can tell. Like, there's a lot of chemistry between that team. They've been through a lot. And adversity as a team breeds success, if you can work through it. And that's exactly what they're doing now. Yeah, I love that. That's all. Those are all really good points. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Jokic, who's playing at an MVP-like level, I don't know where the Nuggets would be right now. Um, but, yeah, that Jazz team, I, uh, Tyler, I think, mentioned it last week. They have a very good shot at being one of those final two teams that come out of the West. Uh, we'll have to see what they do the rest of the way. Um, and then, so last thing, the NBA All-Star game may or may not really happen. You know, we just kind of talked about how stupid the Pro Bowl was. Um, but there still are going to be All-Stars in the NBA. Trayden, I know you're not the biggest basketball fan in the world, so I'm interested to he- hear what you say on, uh, on this. Um, just your starting five. You can pick East or West or do both. Um, who do you got for that? And then we might, I might go into it more depth. Uh, uh, you know, get a little bit closer to it. Yeah. All-stars. What do you so um, most of the, the names here, or first of all, thank you for so much for having me do this. Cause I know everything about the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are going to love this. Second of all, I have no idea. Like I only picked guys that I knew. Cool. So, I don't know why <laughs> I just picked guys that I knew. Okay. Here we Bring go. On. We're starting with the <laughs> East. Okay. Def. At center. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Clearly yeah. that's that's done. Forward, Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant, obviously. I, I, yeah, that's obvious. Forward, because Joel Embiid, I saw he's on my fantasy team, but I saw him, I saw him flop on ESPN, and I fucking hate him now. Um, Julius Randle, I'm going to have at forward. Yes! Randall. I love yeah. Julius Randle. He is playing damn good. Um, you know, he's, he's not the reason the Wizards are ass. Um, guard, I have Bradley, B- yeah. Bradley Beal. Bale. Yeah, Beal. Deal. Yeah, I have that. I have him, and then point. Oh, guard. never mind. <sighs> this was Sorry. tough, but I have to go with James Harden. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um. So I did not have James Harden. I don't think he's played enough in the East to like be a contender. Also, he was playing so poorly for the Rockets earlier. Um, flopping is a huge part of the NBA. I'm just gonna be straight up. Other than men's soccer, it's probably the worst flopping sport in the world right now. Um, so I'm still going to put Joel Embiid in there, but Giannis, KD, Bradley Beal, but then I have Jalen Brown from the Celtics um, okay. as the other one. Uh, but what do you got in the West? Yeah, in the West center, Jokic. That's obvious. Um, forward, obviously LeBron James. I mean, that's obvious. And then I, I, I know you're supposed to have two forwards, but I have two guards and a point guard. I don't know what I'm doing, but just, just roll with it. Um, I got <laughs> um, our, our big flashy clutch boy, Dame, Dame Lillard. I got him on the on the uh, on the top there, and then I got Kawhi Leonard along with him on guard, and then PG has to go to the to my favorite player, my boy Stephen Curry, baby. Wow, lineup. I mean that yeah, that is a hell of a lineup. Uh, I mean yeah, Steph Curry, what a dude. Um, so I got I agree with you on a lot of them. So I do. I have Kawhi and LeBron for sure, and Jokic for sure. 
Um, those feel like locks. Um, and then I have LeBron cause he kind of plays point a little bit. LeBron doesn't really play a position. He kind of plays right. all of them. So just uh, basketball. Yeah, he pretty much is really good about basketball. Yeah. <laughs> so LeBron, Jokic, Kawhi, and then I have Dame as the other guard. So I picked like two guards. Um, and then I also have uh, Paul George, who after getting so much heat in the bubble for his play, has come out and had an incredible start to the season. Um, you know, Kawhi is the best player on that Clipper team, but Paul George has been amazing this year and he deserves a starting spot. Um, I really wanted to pick Luka Doncic because I've talked about him a bunch before on the podcast. Love that dude. But I had to go PG-13. Hate the Clippers. They're going to have two starters in the All-Stars this year, but they've been killing it. So that's what I got. Um, The other three of you, do you have anyone else you want to throw out for either the West Um, or the East? So no Anthony Davis, huh? Well, I guess Jokic, right? Dude, yeah, Jokic mm-hmm. has just been yeah. unreal. Yeah, you got to go Jokic over him current at this moment. Yeah, I think a strong, um, strong somebody strong that could be like a fill-in if Jokic decides not to play would be Christian Wood from the Rockets. He was nobody up until this year, but all of a sudden, like he's coming out there and he's giving double doubles left and right, and he's a huge reason why this Rockets team is where it's at. I mean, they just traded away, um, James Harden. And all of a sudden, like, they're actually starting to do well because there's chemistry and Christian Wood's been killing it. So yeah. props to that guy. That's a really good point. Um, ba- like, basketball, the the all-star game is almost as stupid as the Pro Bowl. Like, oh, yeah. usually the score is, like, 192 to 187 or something like that. Um, but And it is it is a lot of a popularity contest. But, you know, it's always fun to talk about. There's always going to be snubs. Um, but, yeah, that's what I got for the NBA, um, you know. Keep on chugging along, basketball. Thank you, Alex. The NBA is really starting to shake up things. I think we're kind of seeing a lot of teams kind of hit their stride a little bit, you know, and uh, becoming, becoming a lot more competitive. And I think the season is starting to take shape, and we still got a lot, of, lot left. So uh, looking forward to these every week. Thank you, Alex. Um, and that will conclude episode 32 of TLDR Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for hopping on and listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, make sure you check us out on on twitter on instagram tiktok youtube all those all those good spots we'll see we'll see you next week have a great one